0: Hey, everybody. I'm Michael. That's Jacob. What's up, Jacob?
1: Oh, right now? Oh, not too
0: much. What are we discussing what? today, buddy? Ralph Bakshi. All oh, of oh, Ralph
2: Bakshi. Yes. All of it.
0: <laughs> now, some of you may know Perfect. that uh, previous episodes of our podcast, we have discussed a few uh, Ralph Bakshi movies. We did them as minisodes. We did Fire and Ice, American Pop, and Cool World. Oh, wait. No, that's not right. We also did Lord of the Rings. Uh, so... We're not going to discuss those now. We're going to add those to the end of the episode, except Lord of the Rings. That was a long friggin' episode. There's no way I'm going to add an extra hour to the show. Oh, yeah. Um, but this is kind of the end of our Back in Tunes. Uh, just a couple episodes left, doing one with my sister, uh, where we discussed the ABC story break uh, that was on Saturdays, where they ad- uh, adapted classic kids' books and uh, turned them into animated specials, like Benicula and uh, Miss Switch, um... Uh, the land of og and stuff like that it, they were big for our generation Jacob they probably missed out for you sadly yes the um and then the last episode we're going to be doing will be um superhero cartoons from the 70s so it's underdog spider woman uh plastic man can't remember what the other one was i wrote it down i'll remember <laughs> um, <laughs> but but so I watched all of these, and I realized uh, I'm a 50-50 shot on Ralph Bakshi. Uh, Fritz the Cat's always been our peripheral, that we were going to discuss that. And I was hesitant because I remember watching it the first time and thinking, "Eh," and then Heavy Traffic, "Eh," and I never saw the other ones. So, right, let's... I don't want to get too negative on it because I guess it's just something that was necessary at the time is, you know, he came off of the Spider-Man cartoons and worked for Famous Studios and wanted to do something revolutionary and grab the uh, R. Crumb comic book and turned it into a movie, which, if I remember correctly, R. Crumb didn't exactly care for the animated film.
1: I don't think... Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Because uh, around the 70s, yeah, unless it was Disney... Or on TV, yeah, no one was going to go to the theaters to, you know, see an animated movie.
0: Right. It
2: was and then, super of course, rare.
1: Yeah, it was that time. Dec- it was that decade. And then Fritz the Cat comes comes along, and it's like, wait, what the hell? It definitely pushed a lot of boundaries, a lot of social um, instances and uh, satires, like whatever was going on at the time. It was just, it was on the menu.
0: Yeah, pretty much for that movie and it was the most successful animated <laughs> movie outside of a Disney film and this is a time when you know people were going to porn films you know they were oh, uh, right. it was just so strange that, like Deep Throat and stuff like that were being seen by the mainstream because people were like what the hell uh, uh, you know a movie with actual sex in it and you know I feel like Fritz the Cat was kind of part of that whole thing like oh this new revolutionary thing of more sophisticated films and sophisticated I just mean mature so I, I think right, that's why yeah. Fritz the Cat hit so big.
1: For sure. I mean, it was definitely, like, more towards counterculture, and the entire premise of it was just this, like, Fritz just causing up trouble, and just being a fucking perv the entire yeah. time. Well, Even with how the ending went, like, holy shit. Yeah, it's very oh, and episodic. The, mm-hmm. And, of course, like, the depiction of, like, characters. Like, you know, um, when it came to the police, they were all pigs, uh, whether it was sheriffs or local PD yeah no, so there was of course some social statements
0: there it's it's hard sometimes with these movies especially in retrospect when you look at the black characters are played by crows you know and stuff like that and uh not to feel just like in Dumbo not to feel like, Dumbo. You, you not feel like there's some racism leaked in but Rock actually was not known for being racist at all I think he was trying to get a message across which is harder to to understand now since it's been a 45 year difference between them oh wow yeah, it's just you know Dang, it's part of the hippie—it's co- it's with the hippie culture and stuff like that. So we were not really part of that. So it's kind of weird to see the characters that he's trying to portray through the animated, you know, what do we call them? Uh, Anum, anim- I can't say the word. Anim- animated spectrum. Anthropomorphic. Jeez, I got a stuttering problem lately. It's weird. um, Oh wow! I don't. It's a weird thing. So- I, well, I stammered a lot as a kid, and I've seemed to have developed it again. I don't know why. Um. Holidays, so stressful. Maybe that's why. <laughs> the holidays, yes,
1: man. I blame all the holidays. I'm so glad they're over. <laughs> yeah, I work retail, but, and
0: it's just every year's harder and harder. Ugh. Um, so, yeah. They, they made it, funny. Uh, they made a sequel to this, of course. <laughs> I think it was called uh, The Many Lives of Fritz the Cat or Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat, and it wasn't done by Bakshi. It was done by a different studio, different director. Oh, wow. And it wasn't nearly I as successful. No it's not good. I no, yeah, because this...
1: Yeah, no. This movie was like what a seven hundred thousand dollar budget, and then what? How much did it make?
0: I think it was 40, forty-one million, uh, which is actually being counted. I think it's way more than that. But the mob and other people had ways of hiding the box office back then. It wasn't easy to track back in the day. It's hard to see wow. what a movie made. Yeah. Ooh, but dang man, on a seven hundred thousand dollar budget,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is. Holy oh, crap.
0: Um, so I've heard reports man, that it actually hit 100 million, but I can't I can't buy that people saw Fritz Cat that many times more than say what was that around that time Blazing Saddles. You know what is the biggest movie at that time? Jaws. Well, Jaws wasn't even out yet. Yeah, but yeah,
1: seventy five. Yeah, yeah. Jaws was uh, came out in seventy five, and that was the big blockbuster. I think but, Jaws man. is the
0: first movie to break 100 million, if I remember correctly.
1: Oh yeah, it was.
0: The uh, the follow up Heavy Traffic is very episodic in its nature too, and very hard R lots of sex and lots of like oh, it, this, oh Jesus. these are some serious stereotypes here <laughs> indeed I know I'm
1: watching them just going like what the fuck and then in the end it ended up just being in some guy's head yeah and it almost had like a cutesy kind of ending but it wasn't too like Leonard's Hospital or something like that you know it wasn't that kind of a bad ending <laughs> but there was some funny moments where it's like he's walking back home and he sees the uh, you know after he knocks over the uh, pinball machine and runs to um Carol Carol? I think yeah, I think that was her name. Yes. So he runs into Carol who he dreamt up, never met before. And then like, you know, he's walking by his apartment and there's people getting it on in the car, and then he just walks out and just goes and he just yells, Bullshit and he goes out to Carol to win her art and that ended up being in his head it's like oh my god what's real anymore yeah. this is like a Phil this is a Phil Dick uh, is this a Phil Dick story where we all mind fucked here
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's, that one's weird because they have this whole subplot where he's convinced his son is gay and he's oh, like geez. trying to give him a hooker and he gets hookers and everybody in this is just gross there's just a, such a slime just it feels so dirty these movies real, you know, like true grinders yeah.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And it was just like a depiction of like inner city uh, activity. Like a lot of traffic. Yeah, sex trafficking, it seemed. The yeah. Lord.
0: It's such a. Yeah, but this man, one. This is more extreme than Fritz Cab by long shot.
1: Oh, yeah, no. I mean, it was just batshit insane. And, you know, at the end at first, it, like, it did throw me off where he just got, you know, blasted right in the head by, like, you know, the dude on the wheels. I can't remember. He was like that bouncer. Oh, right, yeah. He beat the crap out of whoever hit any of the girls, and he was hot and his dad hired him to kill uh, his son because he thought he was gay or because he was a, he was with a black girl yeah that's that why yeah yeah, yeah racist sick bastard <laughs> yeah and no, it was trippy and bizarre like I'm not sure if I can watch this again
0: yeah they're really, really hard rough movies and this one was successful nowhere nearly as much as Fritz of Capita still successful enough and so Ralph Bakshi th- these two movies allowed him to you know do the next few movies that weren't successful at all the funny thing is with all this money coming in yes they got greenlit and they got funding but the budgets were still really small he was always like just scrapping you know for just a couple million and it's so strange because that wouldn't happen now if he had to hit with fritz the cat people would be knocking down his door trying to offer him a big studio film and like you know you quadruple the price bare minimum
1: in fact actually yeah no warner brothers i think once they saw uh going back to fritz the cat once they saw fritz the cat they pulled the plug because they were a very conservative uh studio at the time.
0: Yeah. Well this is AIP uh, yeah, and days, AIP was known for our exploitation films.
1: Oh god yes. Oh yeah. But yeah now I mean yeah these days, yeah no he, people would be being like, could you do this, could you do that? Hell I think you'd be able to collaborate with Seth Rogen and the
0: Aputau crew. Probably make an animated movie <laughs> the um, that's something I would want to see. The the next two movies are where everything went wrong and I almost destroyed his career. And it's a uh, Coonskin. Coonskin was another really tight budgeted, which is so strange because you really think they would offer them more money. But I think it's a subject matter too. And, oh God,
1: yeah. I was like, how did they get this off the ground? Yeah, I mean, placing saddles. You know, it was Richard, written by Richard Pryor, which is why they got away with a lot of the stuff. The only complaint they got was uh, when Mongo punched the horse.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> so Coonskin has a notorious. Uh, it's it was put in theaters for a short bit. Because of racism uh, accusations. Uh, and then, uh, what was it five years later, they tried to re release it again, didn't work. And they released it again, a Street Fight, aka Coonskin, in the 80s on VHS. And it's just never been very successful. It's an okay story, it's not as outrageous as, as, as and offensive as the other ones. But you can see the cutting corners where he shoots a lot of it live action with Philip Michael Thomas and Scatman Crothers, and then it goes into the animated fable.
1: Yeah, yes, that's right. And um, yeah, it did start off live action. Barry White, Love his one. Um, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Him and the preacher. I guess they're on their way to the pri- to the prison to bust their friends out. And you know, as those two are waiting at the pr, you know, for the getaway vehicle, you know, Scatman's like telling the younger guy like his story, and how like they rose up and you know became as big as they are. So who they are currently but oh my gosh sorry i just wanted i just lost myself my bad (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) uh but yeah no i mean it's just uh these characters like the you know the black rabbit then there was um bear and again preacher they're like kind of talking about their upbringings like how each each character like had a unique art style to them Heck, even the promotional art it looked like you know yeah uh Black but uh, Exploitation Bugs Bunny. I can see that. Uh, yeah, but that's how it was with the uh, promotional art. Yeah, no, it was a trip. I'm like, yeah, that's uh, again, how this even got made in the first place. I mean, I know there were some complaints from uh, – oh, gosh. Let's see. Uh, I'm trying to remember the – NAACP? Yeah, the NAACP – yeah, they were pretty much saying all the racism that was going on. Hell, even the title of the damn movie.
0: Yeah, but I think it was to it was have a point that was kind of lost. I think Ralph actually has good intentions. Is it somewhere along oh. the way I think his communication of those ideas uh, is not – it's misinterpreted?
1: Yeah, I believe so. I mean, I mean, the title alone definitely does it. I mean, no, the Congress of Racial Equality. Oh, okay. That's what it was. They're the ones who criticized the content as being racist.
0: The um, yeah. yeah, it's it's not a good movie. It's, I, I just I know these are groundbreaking films, but God, they're just kind of torturous to get to. That's why I've held off on a lot of these. Uh, the same thing for his follow-up yeah. movie, uh, Hey, Good Looking, which was in production, uh, lost funding, uh, sat on the shelf for ages until after American Pop, and then he was able to finish it up. It was a weird thing because it was shot live-action for the most part, except for the two main characters, and they were animated... And then uh, the studio said, no, let's just go back and animate all of it. And then somewhere along the way, they said, never mind. And it just sat on a shelf for a while. And then Warner Brothers finally decided to finish it years later and and put it out. And it's another one of those... Yeah, it's very episodic, rambling, just... And they're horrible people, dude. That's the thing about a lot of these movies, that he does. These are shitty people.
1: Yeah, I know. They're all... Also very real. This is how people can be. Yes, they there's... showed us the dark side of the world. I, do that I everything's care, all though. you know, princesses and rainbows. Yeah, I know. And I like guess it's Disney. supposed to be the
0: antithesis to the <laughs> Disney thing. But for me, I was just like, I don't give a fuck about any of this.
1: I know. I, I mean, I'm watching. Uh, hey, good looking. Honestly, to me, this was like grease on crack.
0: Yeah, definitely. Or the Wanderers, <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's a uh, just two sleazy hoods and just trying to get laid in New in York. Jersey. They're they're, they're yeah, fighting off a rival gang.
1: Oh, yeah, they are in Brooklyn. I thought it seemed like Jersey. Huh. Anyway. But, yeah, no, again, yeah, they're just like. uh, It does start off with, like, this guy in the freaking alleyway creeping out this girl. Then he shows her the loaded jacket, and it's like, oh, she must have known this person. And then we go back in time to the 50s. Although it had, like, kind of a catchy theme tune. Hey, good looking. Yeah, it was pretty good, yeah. But, yeah, no, it's just a lot of perversions. uh, Freaking crazy. (laughs) I'm like. Damn! how is this kid not dead yet?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it definitely still uh, still fit within like an animated uh, an animated world. Like you know, some boundaries could be broken, like talking garbage cans and this and that. It's like <laughs> that's who that's who the main characters could have been.
0: <laughs> that's it, terrible. They yeah, were. that was funny. I forgot about that. The opening where the garbage is talking to the trash can. And something else, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 an interesting experiment, but obviously it just it didn't go. This is one of those that was I think it's still lost. It's maybe Warner Brothers finally put it out on DVD, but a couple of these are really hard to find. So we had to find YouTube copies of them. Oh, are yeah. you' am kidding. We find most of YouTube copies of everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. Yes. Um
0: yeah. So between Coonskin and, and, and Hey, Good Looking, he actually did Wizards. And that's a much bigger budget, very well done, excellent movie. And I, I did. I was kind of lost on it the first time I saw it. I saw it about 20-something yes, years ago, really early on a Saturday morning on Sci-Fi Channel. And I thought it was going to be his big sci-fi adventure, like, like big action and stuff like that. And it was, and it was more uh, introspective. And, you know, of course, he's still cutting corners. But, you know, you can see him experimenting with stuff that he's trying to do with Lord of the Rings later.
1: Oh, yes, like... Um... Yeah, just like with the rotoscoping, and right? That. Yeah, like bringing, blending live action and animation. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt when I was watching this. Um, as he's as he's like you know depicting like all the different uh, soldiers and whatnot. Like you see Zulu warriors, like you see clips from like previous films or history footage, and like Nazis and how they're all kind of like tweaked out just to look like they fit the world of wizards.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, uh huh. Yeah, It like I said, it was very interesting, and it did perfect it better in a uh, Lord of the Rings.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think fantasy is one of the things he works better in because he did this in Fire and Ice, and he was very good at that. Uh, mm-hmm. The um, the interesting thing is we found this on YouTube, not under Wizards. We found it under Donald Trump versus Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, uh,
1: that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, <laughs> Well, it's a good way to hide it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a
0: really good message about, you know, warring societies destroy everything, and they're freak shows, and they, they'll consume, into, like, cannibal zombies. And the the magical little people that are trying to save the planet, you know, they just share and love and care for each other. And yes, it sounds kind of hippy-dippy, but, you know, fuck you. We're in a day and age right now where we're on the verge of World War III.
1: Good God. Yeah. yeah it's nuts. But uh, also, uh, what I noticed is that Ralph Bakshi uses a lot of the same people like Richard Romanes and Jesse Wells and David Provol for all of his animated movies.
0: Oh, yeah, I know... Oh, David Provol. yeah. Uh, David Provol, I know as the... Okay, this is really obscure, sort of. Uh, Monster Squad, in the very beginning when the uh, airplane's flying around, there's two guys talking to each other, and one guy gets up to go check the casket because he thought he heard something moving around. That's David Provel.
1: Yeah, that's who it is. Uh, he was also in... Um, Shawshank redemption he played snooze he was in mean streets he played he was tony he like he has a very big uh live
0: action repertoire right yeah he's in sopranos for an arc i remember where he's dating tony's oh, yeah. sister i think gets killed because he's abusive the um and mark hamill i believe this was one of his very first things that he did before star wars like he was uh i think at the best he was on an arc in uh eight is enough a tv show and a couple of TV guest spots other than that and uh, then he did voice work for this and who knew it was going to be like another 20 years before he would take off and voice well I guess 15 years
1: yeah of course when he like played the Joker in the Batman animated series he also did a lot of Broadway stuff too but man Again, he does a great job with his voice work.
0: Yeah, I think I think what makes this movie different than the rest of them is that he wasn't going off his animation style. He was going off someone else's animation style, which is what he would do in a few other movies, make a more realistic instead of like this hyper reality, uh, like demented cartoon thing, where he's going off Brian yeah. Froud's designs in this one.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, no, his looks uh, it looked very different from his other films, and looked less uh, practical and realistic. I mean, Fritz the Cat was an exception due to the fact that it was based off an actual comic.
0: Huh. You and
1: don't then, know I, You know what I
0: just realized? We're good. We're good. It's recording. I'm going to have to crank it up. I forgot to switch my recorder over to the USB microphone that I just bought. It's so beautiful, people. It's so wonderful, and I fucked that up, so I'm going to have to crank this one up a bit. Sorry. <laughs> oh. oh no.
1: Oh. But, yeah, no, I mean, this did set up... Uh, movies like this did uh, set up and pave the way... For animated films like, you know. Well, Rock and Roll was another uh, Ralph Bakshi, but we'll get to that. No, in and that wasn't actually. Uh-huh.
0: Rock and Roll was uh, done by Nelvana in Canada. It was not done by uh, Ralph Bakshi. People think it is, though. Same thing for Heavy Metal. People wow. like to relegate that to his work, and it's not.
1: But you can tell those two were definitely influ- influenced by uh, Ralph Bakshi's work. Right, yeah. Richard Romanus is actually. Uh, actually, yeah, Richard
0: Romanus is in uh,
1: Heavy Metal. Is he, he was
0: now? in this. Yeah. Okay. Richard Romanus, I, if I remember correctly, I think his son plays Damone in the uh, Fast and to Rich My movies.
4: Oh, wow. Oh,
1: he does kind of resemble him. Let me check.
0: Pretty sure no, Richard I'm, I'm going to have to look into that. He always plays like sure. a mobster in all these movies, and his son, I'm pretty sure, is Mike Damone, Robert Romanus. Mm. Uh, while he's looking that up. Yeah. Um, no. The uh, so like I said we we'll throw in the other movies that we discussed of his earlier. Um, then it's it's kind of after Fire Nights where things go awry. I I don't know exactly why he couldn't get another movie made. That movie is awesome, and uh, basically he went over to television uh, and did music video for uh the rolling stones uh the harlem shuffle which we talked about in our animated music videos episode we also did um oh no we haven't done we haven't done the mighty uh mouse the new adventures of mighty mouse that he did with john k we'll do that eventually oh
2: wow
1: no that's right yeah cause that's where rough actually started was tarotunes and mighty mouse and yeah oh god you were right yeah robert Romanus is his name
0: okay yeah, it's uh, we'll discuss that. We're, we're we're our new show. If we haven't told you yet, is Hit Rewind. We launched our first episode. It's a test pilot, um, uh, last week, and we have a whole things Ghostbusters episode coming up. So that's basically what all uh, Hit Rewind is going to be: an amalgamation of Back in tunes, comics on Infinite Earths, and elements of uh, Video Night, and then we add video games and TV shows and stuff into it. So it's gonna be a big pop culture cornucopia. And we
1: will try our best. I tell you this now. <laughs>
0: So, we, what we do is we start off in 1980, and each episode we'll kind of bounce around with, we'll do the movies, we'll do like comedies from 1980, they'll probably like two episodes because there's a lot of comedies, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, family films, stuff like that, animation, video games, TV, so it's like uh, six episodes or so per year. So, 1980, we'll cover six episodes, and we'll go to 1981, five or six episodes, that kind of thing, and we'll work our way through the decades. Years, I mean, years. Good guy, there's not to me. Well, there's like four decades. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's true. We've got four
0: so far. Yeah. So, and we'll um, like with what we've got. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Ralph Bextie, of course, did Cool World after that. And then he did a show called Spicy City in 1997. And I tried to watch it. It was on HBO. It was supposed to be R-rated. And it is fucking unwatchable. It is garbage. Damn, I'll have to look into it. Yeah, we'll get to that eventually. In 1997, we'll run across Spicy City. Uh, and I know he did last... Days of Coney Island and I tried to watch that and he does it with like shit flash animation spent forever putting it together and I just it's bad it's bad bad damn yeah just he didn't go out on the note that I'm sure he wanted to but um, I was listening to a podcast and I want to say I'm pretty sure it was 80s all over and uh, Drew McQueenie is a film critic and uh, he was talking about how he was in a diner with his friends talking about Cool World and uh they had just seen the test screening of it or whatever, and they were talking about it. And Drew just kept going on what just a giant fucking unwatchable mess it was. And he hears a chair shoot out from behind him, hit the ground. Guy runs over and grabs Drew and he goes, you say one more fucking word, I'm going to break your neck. And it was Ralph Bakshi. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, he's a New York tough guy. It's just, I guess you don't fuck with Ralph Bakshi.
1: No, I mean, don't just, you mean, you can criticize him, but don't, like, scare him and call it what an unimaginable piece of shit. Is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, that uh. Yeah, it took some bravery. Yeah, but it's, like,
0: but it's, damn, it's, dude. it's it well, when, when he didn't know he back she was in there, though. And two, he was a lot younger. I think he was just, like, right out of college. And so, you know, you remember those ages where you're more, uh, eh, you're not as refined, I guess. Whatever pops in your head, it comes out your mouth. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Some of us never stop. I swear to God, I have customers who just will not stop talking. I'm like, shut the fuck up, please. Please shut up.
1: <laughs> and sadly, nothing can yet be done.
0: Yeah, I know. Um, so that is pretty much it for this episode. Uh, Jacob, anything you want to say before we go?
1: I would definitely would want to give Wizards another chance. It's that one yeah, I did find enjoyable cool. and favorable. Yeah.
0: The, uh, the rest of them were rough. you got to really be into that kind of movie in order to uh, want to watch it.
1: Fritz like I said Fritz did make me laugh quite a bit but again yeah um oh god yeah Heavy Traffic and uh Coonskin yeah no those ones I don't think I'd ever watch those have to be like ones and duns.
0: yeah they're rough man um yeah so that's it uh a couple more episodes left that's it kids before we move over to Hit Rewind uh everybody check us out on Facebook under Back in Tunes for the moment and uh that's it
1: All right. Namaste and good luck, everybody.
0: Be excellent to each other, and party on, dudes!
4: Mysterious Avenger and sworn enemy of the Ice Tyrant. The courage will be tested. The challenge must be met. The final battle between the armies of the cold and the keepers of the flame is about to begin. Fire and ice from the visual imagination of Ralph Baxter. Artistry of Frank Rosetta, a fantasy adventure from 20th Century
0: Fox. All right, everybody, welcome to Back in Tunes. I'm your host, Michael, and my co host, as always, Jacob, what's up?
1: Hey, 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 not much, man. I'm just kind of in a bat craze. It was kind of hard to focus when rewatching Fire and Ice, but <laughs> let me tell you, there will, there will not be a lack of enthusiasm for this. No, <laughs> considering. This is-
0: This is one of those movies we've been discussing probably for about four months now, you know, getting around to watching it. I don't know why I took so long. This is a damn good movie. It's not brilliant by any means when it comes to story complexity, but it's it's exactly what I want in an animated movie, something aimed at, you know, someone beyond 12. You know, tons of action, uh, you know, um, great characters, and uh, let's just say this, Frank Frazetta's art when it comes to women, oh, yeah. That is perfection right there. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. Just like in a uh, oh gosh, just like in heavy metal.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is of that era when there was probably about eh, six or seven animated movies that were more sci-fi, fantasy bent that were aimed at people like middle schoolers, high schoolers, and college age. We had uh, American Pop, Lord of the Rings, Wizards. Most of these, by the way, are Ralph Bakshi. He was like the king of making movies for people who actually. Uh, it wanted something more than just talking animals. and Well, if they were talking animals, then they were filthy, like uh, Fritz the Cat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yes. One day we're going to get to Fritz the Cat. We were I, well, I was going to originally do an episode where it was all about Ralph Bakshi's films, but we found ourselves discussing the fact that we would actually want to do one episode per movie, though there's a couple in there that are kind of rough to get through, like, hey, good-looking and coonskin, or a.k.a. Street Fight. Those two are a little more difficult to get through. Fire and Ice uh, is definitely one of his better ones. I think American Pop is his best, and probably this one's second.
1: Yeah. Quite personally, I couldn't get enough of Fire and Ice. I wanted to see more of the character Dark Wolf. I'm like, okay, can we get a solo standalone film for this guy, please? He's just one of those supporting characters that just manages to steal the show. Kind of like... um, What's that actor's name? The one who, uh, the one who uh, played uh George McFly.
0: Oh, are we talking Crispin Glover?
1: Yeah, Crispin Glover. He's the he's like one of those supporting guys that manages to steal the show whenever he comes in the scene. Yeah, he kills. the even one. Did I, it.
0: I would I would watch an entire movie around him.
1: Oh, I know. I know, Gosh, it's like I mean, if you can't uh, reboot Fire Nice, at least get Dark Wolf in there. Something you know, about Dark Wolf.
0: There. Uh, I don't know if it's still optioned or not, but Robert Rodriguez, for a while, held the rights to a live action remake. I'm trying to think of who he could possibly have play these characters. There's not a lot of people built like this, so you know what I mean? Strong or yeah. Tigra, holy
1: cow. I know. Oh, I know. Oh, gosh. Maybe you could get. Ooh, maybe Gina Carano or, you know, Ronda Rousey or. um, Oh, gosh.
0: If they if they were to be cast, they would definitely have to beef up Tigger's character to be a lot stronger. She does a lot of physical stuff, but she seems to be mostly scared and running away. It she's not the strongest character in the world when it comes to uh, complexity. But I was thinking more like a horny fifteen-year-old kid here, so I apologize. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, you were. You got to, come on, Michael, suppress those feelings now. Suppress. Never.
0: Shake, shake, shake it.
1: No, put the, I'll put an ice back. On your balls after right. I kick them. Will that make you feel any better? And then my voice will go, over.
0: <laughs> hello, everybody.
3: Oh, God, it's so cold.
1: I'll knock you back into fifth grade, damn it. <laughs> I'll
0: be the Billy Madison yeah. of podcasting. All right, so. Uh... Are you, you
1: going to be talking to a penguin?
0: Yeah, um, the thing that surprises me most about this movie is I looked at the budget one point two million dollars. I know that Ralph Bakshi is kind of the guy that would cut a lot of corners in order to get films made. I have no idea how in the hell he did for nothing. Just how did he do this for so little?
1: Oh my gosh, I, I mean, it was a collaboration between Bakshi and Frazetta, yeah. and they got the you know they ended up getting you know. James Gurney did the background painting, and the guy who did the Dinotopia novel.
0: Yeah, well, and, of course, Thomas and Kincaid, the uh, the wretched artist that you see in every little strip mall.
1: Pretty much, yeah. And then, of course, what I liked about it, knowing that it was written by Jerry Conway and Roy Thomas, yeah. both of whom wrote Conan for the Marvel comics.
0: Well, and they also wrote Conan the uh, Conqueror. What's the second one called? It's Conan the Barbarian and Conan... The Destroyer. Conan the Destroyer, yeah, they wrote that one. Uh, Of course, that one, I think, is a little bit weaker than the original. But these guys were everywhere when I was a kid. You know, started writing in the 60s, and just every major uh, Marvel character they tapped into. And when they moved over to DC, I think a lot of the characters were more niche. In fact, right now, I forgot, I'm reading Young All-Stars. Young uh, Young All-Stars was right before, I think it was right before Crisis kicked in. Crisis on Infinite Earth. And Roy right. Thomas, I think with his brother, created this group of teenagers. It was supposed to be like the Teen Titans of the Justice Society of America. It takes place in the 40s. I really want to like it. I'm not really liking it. I'm forcing myself to finish it.
1: Wait. <laughs> Damn. I'm sorry, Michael.
0: Yeah, well, that's what happens <laughs> when you buy the complete series and then you realize, huh, my yeah. memory of this was a lot stronger than it really is.
1: <laughs> And, uh, that's like kind of being forced to watch The Notebook with your girlfriend, even though you know it's like a shitty movie. You like Ryan
0: Gosling. Is it is a really shitty really movie? I, yeah. keep, I keep being told that it's a fantastic movie and that I need to watch it. And I do like James Garner and I like, uh, actually I like the whole cast. So I feel like I should watch it. But then there's that word Nicholas Sparks that pops in my head and goes, uh, it's yeah. It's Nicholas maybe. fucking Sparks. Yeah, maybe some other day. I
1: don't know. Not right now. Ryan Gosling and James Garner can only do so much, but it's <laughs> Nicholas fucking Sparks. <laughs> but yeah, no, honestly, like, and Ralph Bakshi. the reason I knew him was because I watched the original um, animated movies of, you know, Fellowship of the Ring and Two Towers.
0: Yeah. Well, and, I think most oh my people, God. their exposure is uh from lord of the rings that's like his big breakthrough everything he made before that was kind of meant for like a much older audience or kind of a cult audience wizards did well but its idea is kind of hard to grasp lord of the rings was actually a hit even though now it's kind of looked down on for you know so much rotoscoping and footage over and over but it was very profitable which allowed him to do Fire and Ice, which you think that that would get him more money. It's so strange that it's $1.2 And here's the irony of it all. It still lost money. It only made like $650,000, because clearly Fox goes, eh, you know what, we're just going to dump this.
1: Yeah, it's just like three-quarters of a million. But I know, honestly, it's a, it is very definitely an underrated movie. It's, uh, like I said, it's visually brilliant. I mean, character design. Larn it kind of reminded me of... Um, a more leaner version of He-Man, as far as that goes.
0: Yeah, and without but, a like I said, haircut or uh, whining all the time. Oh, I know.
1: Tigra, like I said, honestly, Tigra definitely needed to be more of a stronger character, especially in that kind of world. Even though, yeah, she's been kind of a princess, you know, locked away from reality and all that. But even then, come on, man. She should educate herself.
0: Yeah, and... Yeah, uh, but still, just
1: keep Dark Wolf Dark Wolf.
0: Yeah, a lot He's of it's about bad. him. He is a pretty badass character. I really enjoy uh, his voice. I thought it was Michael Ironside for the longest time doing his voiceover. And I am—I was wrong.
1: No, it's not. It's actually um, Steve Sandor.
0: I have no idea who that is. I don't know who any of the people they uh, used for motion capture. Not motion capture. This is before motion capture. Rotoscoping, basically. Filming them and then drawing over the frame.
1: Uh, he had appearances in the... Uh, You know, A-Team, Knight Rider, Charlie's Angels, Chips, Starsky and Hutch, and Gunsmoke.
0: Yeah, that doesn't help me. Uh, This is from a group called Producers Sales Organization, which is one of the laziest names you can ever come up with for a (laughs) company. It's just like, what do we do? That's our name.
1: (laughs) That's it. It's just simply that.
0: And uh, they uh, went out of business around the late 80s I believe and a lot of their films are kind of lost and luckily Blue Underground is this tiny little company that picked the rights up for fire and ice and cleaned it up a lot made it look fantastic the blu-ray just came out looks amazing and there's some good solid extra features on there and uh, if you don't know who Blue Underground is it's it's a weird story uh, for a while, Anchor Bay was run by William, shit, he... uh, William Lustig, the guy who wrote and directed Maniac Cop, and then he used his funds, once uh, his directing career kind of dried up, he used his funds to start his own DV company after leaving Anchor Bay, and that's Blue Underground. You find a lot of great like Italian stuff, but this, I think, is his only animated movie that he's optioned.
1: Oh, wow. <clears throat> that's awesome. I think it's but funny. honestly, I really hope, I really hope that i mean sony does actually do something with the remake i mean they actually acquired the filming rights in 2014.
0: i'm looking at some of the trivia here it says the filmmakers had a real hard time finding an actress with the right voluptuous physique to play tigre have you seen any of the live action footage clearly they didn't find her but i mean nothing that woman is still gorgeous the one they wrote
1: of course and yeah no, i think her name was cynthia Leek. she was the performer
0: yeah Uh, This, I think, is the only Frazetta film. I don't think there's anything else. He did a lot of movie posters, but there's nothing where he was really involved in the production of. So if you're a huge fan, he's one of my favorite artists. He made me realize that I shouldn't be ashamed of liking pop art. Uh, it's, It's kind of an art that's looked down on even today. Oh, this is not really art. It's not fine art. And I go, yeah, someone took a pen to a paper, and drew something that's art, you know. It's like when people say rap music isn't music, no, you just don't like rap it's music. music. And I kind of wonder if you're racist. <laughs> you get that slight feeling, yeah. Like, I, how can you not see that's music that has a rhythm and a beat? Anything with a rhythm and beats music, and anything drawn is art.
1: I know it's like okay, the meets the beats and all that stuff, but sometimes the, ly- the lyrics can be lazy. But it's still, you can't help but dance to that shit. Yeah,
0: I mean, like uh, yeah, yet people still <laughs> love country music. I work in a place that plays country music all day and all night. Oh, boy, there are sometimes you're like, that's not a lyric. You can't rhyme the same word. To- you know, you can't do that. And, and, you know, it's always about trucks and cars and uh, it's partying Blazers out in cornfields. and all that.
1: Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Enjoying the country lifestyle, just singing about that. I mean, no, honestly... I mean, when Johnny Cash like wrote his music, it was never about that. Oh, heck! Even the collabor, even that whole collaboration of the highway, yeah, yeah, of right. a highway. Oh my God! Now that was real. That was real heart and soul of country. That was some beautiful shit.
0: Now I'm looking like, at this. The voice of Larn is William Ostrander, and I could sworn that there was a comic book writer named William Ostrander, but it is not the same guy, huh? Who knows?
1: He. I, Might be a a parallel universe, twin.
0: Don't start introducing that kind of thing. You know how I am. I'm paranoid. I'll start thinking there's another version of me that's a lot better looking and more successful.
1: Yeah, I know. And I'm thinking there might be a different version of me that's quite psychotic and just pretty much Joker. Pretty much Joker. Let's just leave it at that.
0: (laughs) You know what I am looking up to? Steve Sandor. You're right. He did that quite a bit. He's in like all these great shows of the 80s. Fall Guy, Hardcastle McCormick, Knight Rider, Lady Blue. Okay, that's not that great. Hunter, The eighteen. I don't know what The Yellow Rose was, but it was on for a while. TJ Hooker, Dukes of Hazzard, uh, Ships, Vegas, Three's Company. Man, this guy got around. I got I to watch this Yeah, he shows. did. Remember who he is. He'll, I'll see him and go, oh, of course, duh.
1: Okay, now I want to say about the movie Fire and Ice, you know at the end where, you know, Lauren and Tigra, you know, Lauren's about to kill some mutant, and then Tigra's like, no, it's over. And then you go up and you see, it shows uh dark wolf. Then you know Tigra and Lauren embrace, and then it like zooms out and dark wolf's gone. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the classic western hero whose job is done. Yeah, and now he's riding off to the next adventure. Very much like
0: that. Yeah, I th- I feel like if you look up, I think it's Dark Dealer. Uh, I think Frank Frazetta reused that pose that that dark wolf has for that piece of work. I Dark Dealer. Yeah, look okay, look it up right now if you can. Dark Dealer by Frazetta. If you look at that, there's a lot of that kind of Dark Wolf thing going on there. I could have sworn there was a Dark Wolf comic book. I thought that character can do it in some way, but I'm not finding anything about it. Uh, Now, if you actually want to break down what the movie's about, uh, I I felt like a little bit too much of it was focused on them fighting those Cro-Mags or the Troglodytes or whatever you want to call them. Uh, I feel yeah, like those mutants. Was, yeah, I feel like there could have been other monsters for them to fight. I would have loved to dive more into fantasy, like giant, like mutant spiders or snakes or something. You know, get more into that. There, okay, there is that one giant lizard. I forgot. Uh, something more phantasmagorical. And uh, right, dollar word oh, okay. Kids, make sure you collect your points for me using that word.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and then depending on how many points you'll get, a next you'll get the next letter to decode the secret message by Annie.
0: Yeah. I'm looking. Someone made, oh my god, someone did a uh, He-Man doll up into Dark Wolf. That's amazing. If you look up images on Yahoo, or I'm sorry, Yahoo, nobody uses Yahoo, Google, and type in Dark Wolf Frazetta, I find that someone took an old He-Man figure and carved it into a Dark Wolf, and it looks amazing. Okay, so Dark Wolf,
1: how do you spell the last name? Frazetta, F-R-A-Z-E-T-T-A.
0: Now, if you don't know who Frank Frizzetta is, um, I'm a little surprised, but he broke out, I would say, probably in the 50s, late 60s, or early 60s, starting doing covers to books. He started doing, like, Tarzan covers. Most people know him, though, for his Conan the Barbarian covers. Uh, The Conan stories by Robert E. Howard have been redone over and over, um, but only, like, that first initial, like, 70s uh, what reprints, I guess you want to say, it has yeah. like Rosetta covers, and those are very collectible. I have only one, and most of them are wore out. They're like library copies. They're very hard to find, but it's absolutely gorgeous. And he has a there's a documentary out there by him. He actually has a museum. Uh, let me get the address for that one. I think it's in San Diego.
1: But yeah, uh, dude, this does look fantastic. What's that? Dark Wolf. I'm like looking at all these renditions. Yeah. Damn, dude, these are amazing.
0: Yes, it's absolutely. He's one of the most phenomenal artists of all time. And anybody who says this isn't art. Uh, is a fool, because this is clearly like just <coughs> something different, raw, a raw primal. Frank Rosetta was not apologetic about showing, you know, just violence and, and women that were very curvaceous, you know. Uh, appreciation yes. of the woman, female figure, you know, he wasn't sexist. It's something that he appreciated, and he drew it. Uh, True. He did a lot of movie posters, of course, but towards the, I think it was the late 80s, his sight started to suffer, and he started to back off a little bit from doing, you know, so much artwork. And I'm trying to find yeah. where his. If you go to site I do you want find to say something. Of... What's
1: that? Go ahead. Got it. I do want to say something about you know, critics are saying, oh, that's not art, this and that, blah blah blah. They're too a little too biased, a little too close-minded, a little too conservative when it comes to that term. They define it as you know something extravagant, like you know Picasso or Van Gogh. Standards are held way too high and way too, you know in the past
0: yeah it, uh, it's it's weird like people who just say you know classical music that's the only that it can't that can't right so uh, if you are into this kind of art if you live anywhere near Pennsylvania it is uh, East Stroudsburg Pennsylvania where you can find the Frank Frazetta Museum and you can actually buy some prints of his stuff on his store uh, at frankfrazetta.net Check it out; it's absolutely fantastic. Even if you don't want to buy anything, just roost to the artwork. He actually has a couple books out there too of his collected works. And uh, there's he did some comic strips for the Sunday Funnies, and they collected those up too. I believe he did Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, and Little Abner. Oh wow well, oh
1: Little Abner, I love Little Abner.
0: I've never read uh, Little Abner. I, I should probably get around to. It. They made a couple movies of it.
1: Yeah, no, I did see one. Oh gosh, I remember seeing one early in the morning. It was, vis- it was so visually fantastic. Like it definitely st- like among the most uh, visually fantastic films based on like comic strips or comic books, it definitely ranks up there. With you know, it ranks up there with uh, Popeye, with Dick Tracy, Batman, Ninja Turtles. It it's it's Sin City. It's it's just wonderful, and it's a cu- it's a cute little musical. I couldn't help it.
0: Yeah, some of the stuff. I don't think the store actually is selling stuff anymore. It just gives you links to Amazon where you can buy used stuff. But, yeah, oh. that's another that great part about eBay is that you can just go find this stuff that's out of print and buy it. I mean, clearly, yeah. since he's passed on, he died six years ago, you can't get it autographed. Uh, but maybe someone else got it autographed, and then you can.
1: Oh, for sure. And it'd be a collector's item, and then it'd be
4: worth millions. million. <laughs>
0: Now, do you feel with uh, with this movie that the villain was played kind of fey?
1: Uh, somewhat. I don't know. I was like, I couldn't really get into him. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm like, he, just, die, just die already. That, I don't like Yeah, <laughs> that is one. Th- I
0: was hoping for a better villain, but there is a couple moments where you're just like, is he uh-huh. him is homosexual? I can't tell. But Because uh, he rejects Tigra instantly. He's like, oh, mother, save your whore for someone else. And then uh, I don't know. It just it felt like maybe that was something they were kind of aiming at, but maybe I'm just reading into it because apparently I have an emotional issues. <laughs> <Hey. laughs>
1: well, hey, you know, if they do get the li- the live action going, then they might pander upon that.
0: Nah, they probably won't. Sacha uh,
1: Baron yeah. Cohen could play.
0: Well, you know that you know that R rated movies are popular now. They could probably uh, they could probably get away with doing this R rated because you know probably ten years ago it would have only been. Uh, eh, PG thirteen at best because they were like well, we can't sell a fantasy movie at an R rating. Look what happened to Conan Barbarian remake. That thing bombed.
4: Oh god,
1: yeah. Oh man, I know. I watched it. I mean, Jason Momoa was kick ass, but it was it was so boring. Yeah. It wasn't as bad as Sin City two. I'll say that much right now.
0: Okay, I'm gonna. I just looked this up, and if you want to get a book of Frank Frazetta's work, you better get it now because it's all out of print and the prices are skyrocketing. The best one I can get is called Icon Frank Frazetta. I wish I had not sold it, but I was broke and I needed to make some money. So it was either training tricks ah, or man. selling my Frazettas. <laughs>
1: I'll have to look it up eventually. Yeah. Maybe next paycheck. <laughs>
0: Alright, so I think I wrapped it up my side of this episode. Is there anything else you want to say about it?
1: Like I said, Dark Wolf, I think, is definitely a strong character and would have enough of a following to get his own series.
0: Yeah, this movie does not bore. It is not that complex, but at no point do you look at your watch going, oh, God. Alright, how much more of this to go? It's fast, too. It's like 80 minutes long. The score is phenomenal. The animation is fantastic. Yes, it's a little bit of a cheat to use rotoscoping, but it works and uh, exactly i'm gonna say uh, grab, grab a copy from blue underground these guys are a great little company and they could use your support so if you like this movie pick it up
4: do it do it now
1: in ba- <laughs> okay no i okay as far as like uh casting for dark wolf i'm guessing either dave bautista who played uh drax in guardians of the galaxy
0: i'm, I'm cool well with
1: that. Uh, Drillane Johnson, well, Julian Johnson's too obvious, but he's got, I'm sure he's got too much on his plate. Or Joe Manganiello. Hey,
0: yeah. he played a werewolf in
1: you know, True Blood.
0: Yeah, totally could see that.
1: Oh, hey. Yeah, that would be bad. Oh, my God. Women would be throwing their panties up at the, <laughs> the freaking big screen. And then <laughs> Sofia Vergara would be like, don't you be talking about this? And she starts like shouting in Spanish, be like, oh, shit. i going to kill somebody. Y'all better put your panties back on, women.
0: <laughs> and fuego in my pants.
1: Well, uh, sorry, Sophia. He's a beautiful man. You married a very beautiful man.
2: Salmi should have been a star. The kids are genius. But there were complications. <laughs> Benny could have been famous, but life got in the way.
3: Well, it ain't no use to sin, wonder why, babe.
2: Tony had a brush with success.
4: You the one who writes the songs? Don't you know I'm nothing without you? But use had to,
2: to let it go. Why, I want you to play... One of my songs. So it was up to Pete to grab it, hold it, and make himself heard.
4: Working on a night move. Trying to make some front page driving news. Working on a night
2: move. One family. Some music I love. Four generations. This isn't work. This is play. In love with the sound of American pop. Ralph Batchy, the creator of Fritz the Cat and Lord of the Rings, now takes modern animation a quantum leap forward with a motion picture of incredible beauty and remarkable power. Why do you dance to it, drive to it, sing with it, or swing with it? If you can crank it up, plug it in, or switch it on, if it assaults your senses, rocks your body, or touches your soul,
4: it's American
2: Pop. Редактор
0: Um, American Pop I chose because it is my favorite animated movie of all time. I know Pixar exists. I know Pixar is amazing. Uh, I know Warner Brothers has turned out a couple good movies. And, uh, you know, I love Cats Don't Dance. I mean, come on. Who doesn't love Cats Don't Dance? You've never heard of it? Shit, okay.
1: (laughs) I love it. Shit, dude. Anybody that loves Cats would love that fucking cartoon.
0: And plus, I thought it was like a huge tribute to Gene Kelly. Yeah, it, it is. It's all those old Ginger Rogers, Gene Kelly kind of stuff. Fred Astaire. Um, oh God! Yeah. But American Pop resonated with me because it's a grown-up movie without being like the rest of Bashki's movies. Like in the beginning, where they were really risque, you know. And then he did Lord of the Rings, that kind of changed things. Where he, he he tried to go for a bigger scope. Uh, American Pop is like a mini series. You know how back in the day when they had Roots and North and South, those big mini series about generations of certain families.
1: Yes, and also it was pretty much um, what it discussed was you know again heavily influenced uh by pop culture of those decades that it went through you know it started off with a young immigrant child um <clears throat> coming to uh coming to america saved by a rabbi you know come to america living with his mom being an entertainer and then going through so many like ups and downs then getting involved with like some you know dark uh well i can't i can't find a better word but getting involved with some dark shady shit yeah becoming like a being like a being like a crime start getting involved with crime, and then it goes on through generation through generation through generation, you know a legacy uh, kind of build up you know like grandson grandson great grandson all but all definitely influenced by entertainment and music, and each hold on, trying to see oh God dear <laughs> okay, <False alarm. laughs> God, colleges. <I> just... <laughs>
0: Oh, were terrible? Yeah, Every I mean, time you they're... sneezed, that that would happen. If, I mean, you'd be like, "Oh, I gotta go change underwear again."
1: I know. Fuck! I almost, I almost gave it away. What is wrong with me? Why, <laughs> there's something wrong with my sinuses, but it doesn't want to admit it. Oh, <laughs> well, it's the... Anyway.
0: All <laughs> right. So, American oh. Pop starts in the 1800s. It's uh, set in Russia with the Cossacks taking over this town and killing a rabbi. And his, this child uh, runs away. Makes it to America, and that starts his story of, you know, not only just being an immigrant, um, but what it means to be American. I mean, the movie's called American Pop for a reason. It's not just about music. It's about what it means to be American, and and, and we are troubled people. What's that?
1: And it did start off with immigration, especially with how the founding of the
0: tree Good was. God, you got quiet. Oh, I'm sorry. I did? Yeah, it's like you took the microphone away from your mouth. Oh yeah, I did start kind of like you know venturing
1: further away from it, <laughs> kind of distancing myself. Wandering Sorry, away. Now it's close to, oh, I did it, my
3: way.
1: <laughs> 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 anyway, so it did. Oh, I mean, well, technically, it started off with genocide, but I mean, the founding of the United States of America was based on immigrants. You know, you're you know immigrants from all over the world. Well, mainly Europe at first, and then it started coming from all over the world mostly through slavery but anyway (sighs) let's think about let's get to the lighter. let's get let's change this back to a lighter subject okay so
0: lighter note uh (laughs) first first the first generation (laughs) goes to world war one and gets his throat damaged so he can't sing anymore so he starts doing stand comedy, comedy, uh, gets married, has a child. That child goes to World War II where he's playing piano. And that is a haunting, beautiful, and ugly at the same time is when he's playing piano for that yeah, Nazi well, soldier. And then the Nazi soldier goes, Danka, and blows him away. You're like, what? Yeah. It, it just
1: seems like at that point, you know, considering all the stuff he's been through, he's an introvert. And, you know, he's just like uh, playing the piano. He looks around. He sees the guy armed. He doesn't give a shit. It's like he doesn't care for his life anymore. Yeah. Considering, like, how he's grown up and, like, what he's witnessed, his mom being blown up by that package. Fuck, man.
0: Yeah. But let's, even you know, though, you he, like. Yeah, you're also talking about the next generation, which even dives deeper into this, like, complete and absolute loss of who he is, where he's going. And uh, which is uh, kind of significant for that generation because that's when the on the road, the beatnik, the post-World War II generation was like, what what is the point of life? What, do, what are we here for? Let's go searching for this. Exactly, you know, and then leading up to the counterculture movement and, you know, they, but again,
1: they were all influenced with a certain genre of music and entertainment. You know, again, first generation, you know, growing up, being in the theater, you know, how it originally started, and then, as you said, World War I, getting voice damage, so it was put onto his son, and his son becomes like, you know, gets involved with jazz, you know, and playing the piano, then, you know, of course, before he leaves for World War II, has a wife and kid. That kid gets up involved with like, you know, like 60s, you know, like, you know, rock and roll, getting involved with all the drugs. And each, again, each generation has a, each a unique visual art style. It, and, you know, again, the color palette is just amazing. and so fitting.
0: Yeah, my favorite storyline of all of them is uh, Tony when he decides to hit the road. You know, in between him picking up people randomly and be like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm getting out here. Is this Kansas? Kansas corny? <laughs> and he gets out and they're like, what are you gonna do? Just leave us here. He goes, doesn't matter. That car is stolen. <laughs> and they all take off except for that one girl <laughs> that takes a sign on. It's like, uh, car for sale. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. I thought that was pretty fucking hilarious, too. Oh, man. Again, as it's, uh, and then he goes to meet this girl at the diner. He does kind of see something worth living for, but ended up turning it just to be a one-night stand. Well, not necessarily. I mean, he washed dishes and then, of course, kind of fell in love with her. But uh, along the way, of course, somebody notices him playing his harmonica and then ends up becoming a songwriter for this band. And, of course, the soundtrack, uh, this is where the soundtrack really grabs me, this and the end of the movie. You know, the whole 60s, you know, Jefferson Airplane, want somebody to love. And then meeting up with the band and then getting involved with, you know, drugs. Oh. That's when things just took a turn for the worst. Every time. You hear, you watch it in every VH1 classic story. When it comes to the drugs, shit's going downhill.
0: Yeah, it's, uh... And, his story is the longest. His is the biggest chunk. But there is, uh... There's a couple sequences in here. Tony's character is heavy on dialogue. He talks a lot. He reminds me a little bit of, like, Marlon Brando or James Dean at this time. But, um... This is my favorite scenes is when he walks in and he's like... The kids are watching TV. His little brothers or his little stepbrothers...
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, you watch it on them, and it's just like, doesn't really matter. Even when the TV's off, you're, yeah. still, you're still watching it.
0: Well, I thought you by know, now he like talked, kind of but of I feel kind of stupid now. Yeah, <laughs> oh. Here we go. What you watching? Right. TV. you watching TV. TV
2: you can watch if it's on or off. I shut it off. You're still watching TV.
3: Turn it on.
2: Or what are you watching?
3: The show. We're watching
2: a show. Uh, so? their brains is falling out like teeth. Did you get your quarter, huh? Did the brain fairy leave you a quarter last night? I'm talking to you! We're ignoring you, Tony. Mom said to ignore you. She said they're going to a phase. A phase? Now I'm a goddamn move. That's right, you catch him you catch them. Your brains are falling out, your ears are falling off. How's got eyes, waking okay? Go away, Tony, Come on. you call Mom, you call? You think mama gonna hear me shut up in that room? is that goddamn
4: record. That's a secret, Tony, you're not supposed to talk about that. What do you care? What in your
0: father? Of course, that being the fact that, you know, he, the reason he's so tormented is because his father's not around and, and his mother remarried. And even though, you know, she has new kids and a new husband, she's still just completely and absolutely in love with the man that she lost in World War II.
1: Yeah, exactly. She could, It's like she fully couldn't move on with that. I mean, at the same time, subconsciously, she it seems like she is settling, but she just can't. So it's, it's just like it's just a whatever thing for her. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's someone that's, you know, there's someone to like help with the bills and also, you know, keep the roof over their head and keep them fed. And then Tony, of course, you know, has this rebellious nature. I mean, without, like, you know, real father, uh, real um, guiding, you know, parental figure. So, yeah, that that's what kind of leads him to uh, kind of, you know, move off. And then then we get to the rock band stage. Uh, you know, then we get to the uh, rock band stage. He starts writing all the, writing these songs. But, of course, gets involved with heroin. Heck, even with the, the lead singer, he, like, has kind of has this anfitu- infatuation for it. Oh,
0: yeah, definitely.
1: But... Yeah, and then and then we get to the drug part when he's on acid and it's oh my god. When it gets to the drug scenes, I again the visuals really uh, and Ralph Foxy's art really just like pop out right at you. Yeah, I mean, if it uh, isn't sh- already, it's really going to hit you here now.
0: Yeah, he tests a lot of like new style of animation. A lot of people look at it and see cheap animation, but what he did he was trying to mix up mediums. So he's he's got. uh... You know watercolors he's got a little bit of early cgi he's got composite shots he's got rotoscoping he he tried to and he, he showed a lot of this in uh, lord of the rings during some sequences where he was experimenting with and he had a very short a small budget so he had to do what he could with the money he had oh of course
1: and again using also some of the actual footage from those decades really helped
0: yeah definitely
1: and uh, it really did like set the tone and gave you that feel of what it really took place in that decade
0: the uh, the switch from World War One to World War II When they're playing like the beatnik Not the beatnik music like The the high jazz kind of da-da-da, And it kind of tells you as time has gone exactly. by But you were talking earlier about When it starts getting to the 60s And it does this big montage with all sorts of crazy animation I actually have that right now It's funny is that they use music that already existed, which would be weird now because now all animated movies have like original songs. And well, that's actually not true. We're, um, I, we have animated movies playing at work all the time uh, because I work in electronics and we have to have something to display the quality of the TV. So therefore, we show a lot of animated movies. They're PG, they're safe, and we're watching Trolls, and Trolls is shit. And all the music is already songs you know. They didn't even bother to write their own songs. I'm like, what the fuck?
1: Oh, except for that Justin Timberlake one.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that one was original. The rest of them were just regurgitated songs.
1: Right. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, just a look at uh, Rock of Ages. There was nothing original in that. No, exactly. no, no, no.
0: That seems to be a weird thing. Is Now I feel like everything is just a, a remake, a reboot, or a reuse of things we already know. And it kind of sucks. And, and then you look at movies that Ralph Bakshi was doing, and sure, not every one of them was a winner. A lot of them were cheap jack, you know, just whatever he could with a budget. But they were original concepts. Even Fire and Ice, even though it was Frank Frazetta designing it, it wasn't based on any pre-existing material. The only thing that he ever did really was uh, Lord of the Rings.
1: Yeah, you're right. It was. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, Cool World, I thought like was an original idea as well. But we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, I think Cool World but might be based again, on a book. Every, yeah, like this, and again, um, Fire and Ice. Yeah, like all his own, like all original ideas. Well, except for the songs in the. American pop,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, but here's the weird thing: is when we get to the end, the story takes kind of a twist. Is that he that one night stand that he had, um, he, it produces a but child. Even though again. they don't one hundred percent say it, you know it, and he knows it. Tony knows that's his child. You know, they go on a tour in Kansas, and he's completely gone by this point. He's so messed up on drugs. I think it was heroin. Um, but yeah, he sees that child. It was like, yeah, go ahead, sorry.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's like you know there was heroin, and again the lead singer of the band just died. He fell in love with her. She died of an overdose before they performed. He was just broken down, but you know, again like even he couldn't even see. uh, Again, that kid wasn't enough for him to uh, you know stay and take care of and clean up, except you know not not even to write any more songs.
3: Yeah, he couldn't. Because you know the the last time we
1: see him, they're at the park. He pawns off his uh, guitar, and he tells the kid, and he has some guy, you know, drop off these drugs to the kid so he could sell them and make money off of it and live, and we never hear from him again. He probably just went off to die from an overdose. Yeah, who knows?
0: You really get no resolve with that. But um, before we get to that, this is the scene where he finally discusses, like, you know, you've been hanging around with me for years, selling drugs, you know, we've been living on the streets. Why do you hang out with me?
2: Give me a guitar.
4: You're going to play it? No. I'm going to pawn it. No. I'm
2: going to pawn it, and then I'm going to pawn it. No.
3: You
2: don't trust me? No. Don't. So why don't you stay with me? What the hell do you think?
4: Alone in my father.
2: Give me the,
0: give me the it's just a haunting haunting scene and animation should try to do stuff like this more often but it's it's like a, a one in a million occurrence
1: yeah I know it, it is it was pretty uh it was pretty gut-wrenching and heartbreaking like God man this guy you know pretty did pretty much abandon his child you know <laughs> fucking. it's like it was almost like I, I in my mind though as I see the scene uh, I did kind of have to turn it comedic. So the first thing I thought of was uh, uh, "There Will Be Blood," with um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis just screaming, "I
2: abandoned my child! I abandoned my child!"
0: <laughs> I don't remember that at all. <laughs> but um, oh, I kind of raised that movie from. But when it comes to P.T. Anderson movies, for some reason, um, I don't uh, I, I don't like that one. I'm a big fan of Boogie Nights. I'm a big fan of Magnolia and Hard Eight, and uh, what's the other one with Adam Sandler? um Punch Drunk, love. Punch drunk uh, love. But since then, I don't give a shit about his films. I don't know why I cannot connect to him. Not even The Master? Uh, master was good, but I just didn't care what was going on. Like, I wasn't pulled in. I was just watching. I was like, oh, it's is, is pretty well made. I don't care.
2: <laughs> Damn. I know. Okay.
0: So we get yeah. to the end, and okay. now it's fast forward, what, maybe 10 years? And now Tony's about 20, and he's full-on uh, drug dealer uh, kind of like a street cool kind of guy. He looks like Billy Idol mixed with James Dean. And it's, it's this is one of the most artistic, like strangest thing that Ralph Bakshi does, but he Oh, just, my God, yes. It's almost like a nightmare like that we're going through. Uh, clearly, Tony's character has gone through some seriously dark times. I think it's it's meant to show that.
1: Oh, of course. No, definitely. And again, this whole montage where you're going through the whole punk era, punk rock and roll era, oh, man. This again, it really just captured the essence of what punk was about. You know, you see like the razor blades in the background, and the big old figured heads with the big old pins through their mouths, and you know the razor blades, the junk, the garbage, uh, and just all, of course all the pogo dancing, all the random, just you know, flop, you know, weird like jilted kind of robotic dance movement
0: yeah that guy that, that flips around all the time that's constantly flipping himself over i know that he was really well known for that Can't remember his name for life for me but he's in a devo video really early in their career and he does that that front flip kind of thing um i wonder if he's in oh, serious wow. pain now like did he blow out his neck his back he's like all screwed up now because that's his oh. kidneys <laughs> yeah right that looks bad that looks so painful <laughs>
1: oh, shit. yeah but again overall uh Oh god! And then, of course, we're so pretty by the Sex Pistols playing in the background. I thought it was like again perfect. Sex Pistols may not may not have been the best punk band. No. if anything, they were just you know they were. If anything, they were the poster children of punk.
0: Right. So they took the particular. ethos, the idea, the concept of punk, and took it to the nth degree. Whereas, if you're going to look at quality punk bands, well, you got two or three classes. You got. The British side, you got the American side. Then you got like the pop American side. Like, Ramones, um, probably the most successful punk band in America. Maybe Clash. Maybe Clash was a little bit more. Um, but the Ramones wow. stayed with punk the entire fans. way, whereas Clash kind of mixed up their genres. Um, but they're pop-friendly. If you look at the Ramones, they kind of took the same writing style as the Beach Boys. Um, whereas, like, the Clash and the Jam, uh, Early Police, uh, even Early Devo, those first two albums, are punk. Um, different styles, just, it's, but what it was is just right. a thumb in the nose of not only the rock industry, which become a bloated mess, but social norms, you know, the, the corrupt political system, which has not ended by the way. <laughs> so yay for punk rock. Sadly, no.
1: Oh God. Uh, and, um, oh gosh, would, didn't you say like uh, Blondie and like talking heads when they first were starting off were punk?
0: Uh, well, I know they played the CBGBs, but I'm not necessarily certain they're punk, but uh, here's the thing that people forget. Uh, punk was considered part of the new wave, not new wave and punk. They weren't two separate things. Uh, it was c- called a new wave of music that started around 75, 76, and somehow they got separated, but punk was part of that group. Um, like the Cars, though, Blondie, Talking Heads the Cars, and uh, like uh, Adam Ant. They weren't exactly punk, but they were like a new style of music. Oh, yeah, definitely Adam Ant.
1: My gosh, I mean, I, there's a friend of mine in, um Facebook. Absolutely uh, adores and loves this man.
0: I saw him live. He, uh, uh, four years ago, I believe I saw him, and it was astonishing. In this tiny little room, he was supposed to be at the big embassy performing hall. It's like a thousand seats. Uh, that got canceled and got downgraded to another concert hall, and then when I got there, there was maybe 35 people there for his big reunion tour. I mean, he hadn't toured with the Ants in probably 35 years, and he hadn't performed, period, in probably 15, 20 years and um Holy shit i know it was like this big event i thought it was gonna be a big event and i get there and i'm front row and there's nobody fighting to get in front of me or next to me it was a barren wasteland no one gave a shit and it was a hell of a concert
1: that sucks man I'm Right? sorry i mean again
0: where was this this was in san luis yeah well it's a college town you know so that maybe it's not so hip or i mean it's, it's too hip for its own good like there's no retro uh or like you know 30, 40, 50 forty, fifty-year-old people in the <laughs> in that town. It's mostly a college town. What the fuck? Right. I went to. There uh, should have been plenty of people traveling there. Shit. What I'm was disappointed. the band? They They sing the song "Sail" and uh, "Jump on My Shoulders." What's uh? Shit. I can't remember now. Um, but there was like a thousand or two for them, and I was like, "You guys got two hits. What about Adam and Jump on My Shoulders?" A Wall Nation. A Wall Nation.
1: Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Again, uh again this last scene at the end, you kind of see a bit of a um an end to the to the despair and misery of uh that family that family line. Yeah. I mean cuz this movie came out in 1981, so it only went as far as the music uh could be taken.
0: Yeah, he becomes a superstar so but, 1981, but before that though, he goes and he's delivering drugs to the bands and he has this little scene
2: Hey, if anybody has blow in this town, my man will. You got the Coke, Daddy O? What do I look like, man? A Stokey And what else you got there? Stones. You scoring songs now, too? I'm giving them away. A song ounce. By who? Me. You can keep the songs, man. Bunch of folks for three years now, and I don't want to be no candyman no more. You want more money? It's not the money, man. Fine, we'll get someone else. Do it. Else. No, hey, Come on. All right, Pete. No right. right. what, what, what do you want? I want you to play one of my songs. Play? You mean Remember
4: the one. one. just one.
0: Okay. Okay. I didn't realize the guy with the white spiky hair is Lee Ving, uh punk rocker, and you know, would be in a bunch of movies later. Uh but he's the guy yes. with the white hair oh, and glasses.
1: Fuck. Huh. Yes, oh god, I remember yeah, yeah. No wonder he looks so familiar. I was like, God damn, wait. Who is that actor based off of? Especially, I wanted to mention that with the uh, redheaded actress or, uh, earlier, the lead singer. Yeah, I have to look up who 70s, she is. Uh, with Tony's. Ah, gosh, By the way,
0: familiar. this is the wrong fucking song. This is not the song he should, For his character, it doesn't sound right. Night Train? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it fits his voice. Like, I can see, like, maybe uh, Dancing with Myself or something like that. Something a little more his style. That seems like so blue-collar, middle-of-the-road American bullshit. I was like, no, no, no. Not right for the do you, character at all. Do you
1: think that was, do you think that would, like, uh, it was something he wrote when he was a kid? I like, as know. he was younger, when he would just sit there and write?
0: But it's also, the voice doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Again, uh, especially, you know... You're right. He definitely should have gone with uh, "Dancing with Myself." That would have been perfect.
0: <laughs> um, here, yeah, he
1: he'd been on his own. He's been on his own for like you know so many years of his life, and you know he kind of wised up. I guess he inherited those traits. Maybe uh, but well, you think it'd be more of an angry from his, song. Uh,
0: ancestors, you know? Huh? You think it'd be just uh, an angrier song, something a little more power-driven than than that?
1: Especially with his performance, you know, hustling the uh, band and the managers, right? 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 Cocaine. Right? Yeah, I know. Again. This, he did, I mean, he may have dealt coke, but he never tried it. Because, I mean, he looks at his father and he's like, I'm not going to become that. Oh, hell I'm not yeah, going yeah. downhill.
0: Um, so what we have here is, oh, it was the band Fear, which is Lee Ving's band, which, which was the one just now in that scene. Um, we have Ron Thompson as Tony and Pete. Um, amazing voice work. I have no idea who he was. Uh, I, I believe he passed away. Um, uh, amazing voice work. Uh, no, oh, no, he's still alive. He's 76. Oh, wow. Yeah, but he really didn't do a whole lot. Just did a few movies here and there, a little bit of TV. Just one of those guys out in New York. Um, there are a few familiar voices in here. You might have recognized Richard Mole as the poet in the Beatnik Cafe, you know, bull from Night Court.
1: Right. Okay. And who else do we have? Uh,
0: we have Vincent Chiavelli as the theater owner early in the film, if you know him. He is uh, Mr. Chiavelli. Vargas, huh?
1: Yeah, Mr. Vargas. and He was also in... Um... He was also uh, in Batman Returns. He was the, uh... Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, shit. I forgot about that. Um, He's in Night Shift. Do you remember that? Where at the end, when he gets in the sandwich that Henry Winkler doesn't want, and he grabs the sandwich and, like, smears the mustard all over the wall? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, let's not
1: forget, he was also... uh, I think he was also in um, Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and he was also
0: in Ghost. And Better Off Dead. When (laughs) he's a teacher, he's like, uh... Uh, Les Meyer, I just wanted to know if it was okay if I took out bath.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, he's like, so I switched to DK de- Oh yeah, and also he was the teacher in um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's where he's Mr. Vargas. Like,
1: so I, I switched down from caffeine, so have a heart <laughs> Um. Uh,
0: so yeah, this is yeah, after rest. Lord of the Rings was a massive hit. It only made six million dollars. This was not on DVD for a long ass time because of music rights. Um, I remember it was a big deal when it right. came out on VHS in '97, and it had that silver, like foil-covered uh, sleeve to get your attention, and uh, amazing.
1: Again, oh, yeah. Overall, this was an amazing uh, an amazing movie. You think if they were to do a sequel, would it continue from uh, that same bloodline, or would? Um, <clears throat> oh God, what's his name at the end? I keep forgetting. Pete. Not Tony's son.
0: Yeah, yeah, Pete. Little Pete.
1: Pete. Okay, yeah. Do you think you think uh, Pete would have some influence somewhere in there?
0: Well, I think, start, uh, I think starting, I think starting it over, you're going to have to go in a completely different direction. You're going to have to go with an African American angle. I think you know, going up through the blues and, and and through funk and stuff like that. Or you can continue Pete's story with his next child. Just because he's a hit now, just because he has a, a hit yeah. song, doesn't mean that's going to last forever. And there's not going to be struggles. And then you're talking about the next generation after that, his kids.
1: Yeah. Exactly. they would continue on through like hair metal and rock, you know, rock and roll and all that stuff. But Pete's really young, so he could still go through the hair metal phase. Yeah. You know, he's only like what, twenties, early
0: twenties? <laughs> oh my hair metal! Ow! falsetto hitting falsettos? I'm like what a mistake that was! Now he would, I would, I would imagine it's because he did that. Uh, not Steve Miller. Who does that song? Bob Seger. Night Moves. Bob Seger. I think so. Yeah. Uh, that throws me off because I would have said that he would have been like big through the new wave and maybe the alternative. And then he would have given like his career, uh, a new direction when it came to grunge. But you're right. It could go in a completely wrong direction where he goes from being like an all American, like, uh, a John Mellencamp, uh, Brian Adams kind of singer. And then eventually ends up becoming like the shitty hair metal guy who sells out. (laughs) (coughs) Oh God. Did they? (laughs) And then his kid oh, as part of the garage rock movement of 2000-2001. I can't believe we talked about this for 47 Metallica. minutes, so we cheated for 15 by telling you what we're going to do for the next episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, especially American Pop in itself, again, a great, visually fantastic film. And, uh, again, a very compelling, dark story.
0: Yeah, and uh, I definitely on my top list. Yeah. Uh, the second movie I struggled with greatly. I remember the first time I saw this, I struggled greatly. <laughs> I don't think I can ever watch this again. I barely made it through the second time. I know people who really, really love Cool World. I know somebody who has a tattoo of Holly, um, but I just I don't think it's Hollywood. a Hollywood. Yeah, I just don't think it's a good Wood. movie.
1: <laughs> Wood. She gave up. Oh, Honestly, I, I, as much as lovely as Kim. <laughs> As Leslie as Kim Basinger is playing Hollywood, like the live-action version, uh, she again. The I thought the animated version was just much more attractive. So yeah. I watched this movie when I was a kid. My parents didn't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it,
0: what is it? PG thirteen. I'm pretty sure it's PG thirteen. This is supposed to be a big so. summer movie. They expected this to be like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, clearly, that's how it got greenlit. There's no way this didn't get greenlit because they saw how much money. I was like, Oh my god, six hundred million worldwide. Oh, we're greenlight miss.
1: Yeah. Well, again, um, I think he pitched the idea. It was going to be different. It was going to be more of a horror movie, and Holly was going to be like a vampire.
0: Really? Interesting. Yeah, it was
1: definitely. Yeah, again, if you were to again, if you were to look up the original concept of it, he pitched the idea to them. But again, as they were developing the movie, they went through a lot of rewrites, much more PG thirteen. And again, I think uh, if they stuck to the original idea, it would have been a lot better.
0: Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now here on IMDb. His original screenplay was scrapped by Frank Mancuso Jr. and heavily rewritten by two different guys in secret. Man, I would quit that damn movie. What the fuck? Someone writes a script to a movie I signed on to, and it's not the script that I... And it's my script you rewrote? I quit! (laughs) I know. I'd be like, fuck this shit,
1: I'm out. Just drop the pencil and the paper, middle (sighs) finger.
0: Yeah, and then I would sue. I was like, I signed on for this. You need to either pay me my full wages... Or back off and let me do the movie the way I want to, exactly,
1: although um again, blending the animation and the live action, some people couldn't buy it, but again, I thought it was done very well, yeah, and to be quite honest, it did throw me off because as a, you know again, I watched this when I was a kid and then seeing the Brad Pitt memories, like what the fuck? <sighs> so basically when uh, again his mother he was taking his mother on a motorcycle ride and she died after someone hit them. And he, As he was being taken to the hospital, I guess he goes to Cool World. <laughs> yeah. Again, the laws of reality and how it all happens is just very weird. Oh my God! If every time I but got a head again,
0: wound, I would end up in an animated world. Oh, that'd be so great. <laughs> Instead of oh God the pain, <laughs> oh God the pain.
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Or basically, that was happening to Brad Pitt as he's dead. Like that's his. That's how, that's the afterlife for him. It's this awesome animated world. Except the other guy. Oh God. what was the actually? Actress- Gabriel Byrne. Gabriel Byrne's character, of course, he was like you know. You know, wanted for murder because uh, evidently his wife was sleeping with someone else. Again, he was, a heavy, he was a prime suspect.
0: His story and his acting are the only things I, I care about in this movie. Brad Pitt, of course, he's fairly young in this. I think he had just come off film on Louise, so he really wasn't a name yet. Uh, gives a very confusing off kind of performance. Kim Basinger is fucking terrible in this movie. They were just like, we'll give you $12 million. Just show up, please. we got to get this thing going. They're just like... Well, okay, yeah, just yeah. okay. I'll take it. And then she's terrible in it. Uh, the story sucks. Um, the stuff with Gabriel Byrne before he goes in a cool world is more interesting to me than actually being there. I think the whole thing about him being like this hot underground comic and his fan following and getting out of prison, you know, that interested me. And then it just kind of stops. I, I wonder who he was modeled after because he seems a little bit like Peter Begg. I think that's how you say his name. He did a comic book called Hate, which was really like a cult icon kind of underground thing around this time, or maybe uh, an R. Crumb kind of thing.
1: Not sure. Can't say. Don't know. <laughs> I'm a little clueless about that. Yeah.
0: But the animation. All I can say is. The, as, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Again, the like, I think what really the only good thing about this film is the animation.
0: Yeah, here's the thing is, the design work looks clearly like Bakshi, but it's given credit to Rough Draft Studios. So I'm, I'm assuming that uh Mark Bakshi or Mark Bakshi, Ralph Bakshi did Ralph. Uh, the design work and then Rough Draft just did the actual animation.
1: Right, yeah, I no, cuz I know he brought in some of his original animators for this movie. Again, it's just it's just so fucked up he got screwed over uh with how the movie went.
0: Yeah. I feel like there's two different movies. Like, the first 20 minutes is, like, totally different than the rest. I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm getting excited. And then I found myself at about hour 10 going, god damn, this movie's still going. I don't, I don't care about any of this.
1: It's a very fucking slow movie. And, it, and then it just got really weird and just outright bizarre as, you know, Hollywood's, like, performing with Frank Sinatra Jr. Your old Frankie, rest in peace. And she starts becoming this weird clown thing. I'm like, ow. Oh, yeah,
0: what was that? Or whatsoever.
1: Yeah. And then she finds out that the doctor who originally came from Cool World, you know, living in the real world, disguised as some, like, you know, casino boss or whatever. Uh, it, again, uh, confusing as fuck. And then at the very end, uh, what's his name? Jack becoming Super Jack and the world's blending and, you know, he ends up saving everybody. Oh except for Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt died. Kind of. And then he comes back in Cool World, but it comes back as a doodle because he was killed by a doodle. Like, what the fuck is that shit? <laughs> who wrote this shit? I'm sorry, Ralph. Somebody who so saw sorry, the Ralph.
0: end of Roger Rabbit. You know, clearly someone who saw that and was like, Oh, it's just kinda yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, Toontown was a completely different thing and you know, nobody who actually turned into a Toon I mean what's his name? but Christopher Lloyd's character, Judge, was <laughs> a Toon from the very beginning. It's added just like this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Uh, Uh, Again. um, I'm looking at the plot here. This
0: is crazy. The plot here originally was for uh, a cartoon and a live-action human having sex and conceiving a hybrid child who visits a real world to murder the father who abandoned her. (laughs) What? (laughs) They bought the idea in 10 seconds. That's all right. Hmm. Again, I know. That's fucking crazy. That's some crazy shit. I would have loved that idea.
1: But seriously, a cartoon and a human getting it on—that's oh, so yeah. fucking weird. <laughs>
0: if there was uh, any yeah, animated Daphne character Daphne. that uh, you could spend the rest of your days with, who would it be? Jessica Rabbit. I'm thinking. Uh, Hands down. Thinking um, Daphne, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Daphne. Oh yeah, Daphne. Oh wait, or Betty. The hell is Betty. Velma. Betty. I, I, I oh. have no problem with Velma. He's, you know. Just, mm, Daphne.
1: Betty. Judy Yo, and those hot pussy cats, (laughs) they make me horny on Saturday morning.
0: (laughs) Alright, so originally Drew Barrymore was cast as uh, Holly, Brad Pitt was cast as Gabriel Burns' role, and then he got recast uh, down, and Gabriel Burns got signed on, and Kim Basinger. Uh, We have Maurice LaMarche uh, from, um, most people probably probably know from Pinky in the Brain, and uh, Charlie Adler is also a voice actor in this. Wow, this is crazy.
1: Yeah, no, there was quite a few voice actors. Sorry about that. That was my uh, Metal Gear Solid ringtone. <laughs>
0: uh, I remember the soundtrack. My friend Aaron had this soundtrack. It was all, like, industrial, and he was really into that kind of stuff. <laughs> I thought it was fucking terrible.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, I think the soundtrack actually did better than the movie.
0: Maybe. <laughs> I think this opened the same exact week as A League of Their Own and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I remember them being really, really close together, and this just got murdered.
1: Oh, God, yes. Oh, Uh, buff, Buffy. I couldn't tell, but I mean, League of Their Own. Oh, fuck yes, that would that definitely would have done great. All right, I watched the League of Their Own. It was a great movie.
0: Um, every week we have a marathon in this house where we pick an actor and actress, and and we grab like a couple, well, not a couple dozen, but like you know, a handful of films from that actor or actress, and we watch them. And we watched uh, a bunch of Gina Davis movies, and we watched a League of Their Own. I haven't seen it since it was in the theaters, and I cried twice at the end. That movie's so insanely funny, and, and it's just good. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's why this made $120 million. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Oh, God, but John is part, (laughs) though. If I had your job, I'd kill myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were just talking about um, Mom and Dad Save the World because both came out that summer. And uh, it just, oh, my God, the performance in both those movies. He is so insanely funny. I mean, I heard he's a massive tool, but uh, he's great in those two. Oh, yeah, no, hands down. uh,
1: When it comes to comedy, he always manages to steal the show. Hell, even in Wedding Singer, his little bitch, from singing Ladies Night to slowly closing the curtain. <laughs> He's going
0: insane, and I'm uh, reaping the benefits.
1: <laughs> I, honestly, I, I When you hear the song Ladies Night, I, do you always picture John Lovett singing it? And, yeah, uh, no, it every time I it hear it,
0: because it plays at work. We switched over from country, thank God, uh, over to, like, 70s and 80s uh, rock and pop. And they play Ladies Night. And every time I hear it, I just think about, like, strip club scenes in movies for some reason. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Ladies Night. Oh, World of Night. Oh, World of Night.
2: Oh, nature. God. Oh, God,
1: Detroit Rock City. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I guess we're at the end yeah. of this. I totally recommend American Pop. Cool World is a novelty, but if you want to see, like, a cool animated uh, action hybrid, you got plenty of other choices. Uh, Looney Tunes back in action, for one. Nobody went and saw it, and it's amazing. It's it's way better than Space Jam, even though Space Jam, still better than Cool World.
1: <laughs> oh, Space Jam's way better than Cool World. Uh,
0: what, about, what else we have again. live action animation? Of course, we have Roger Rabbit. Um, well, of course, there's the Smurfs and all the, the new ones where it's all hybrid movies, but it was kind of a novelty at the time Cool World and Roger Rabbit were around.
1: Yeah, oh god, what else was a blend of live action? Thank you.